0: The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Continuing the sermon for the second Sunday of Advent, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus. If teachers and those who have spiritual care of others try by beautiful words to draw to themselves the disciples whom they teach and the souls for whom they care, they are like pagans, heretics, and others who talk and ramble on and who take great pains in the pulpit to deliver beautiful, subtle, and finely crafted discourses, whose sole purpose is not to lead souls to Jesus Christ, but only to themselves. They attract others to themselves by their words and impressive language. There's no real substance here, only babbling and cackling, yet they captivate many weak spirits in this way. True servants of God, on the contrary, Preach and teach those whom they guide, only so as to lead them to God, as much by their words as by their works. This is what St. John does today, and to this all superiors ought to pay careful attention, for they will never achieve success, but by directing and sending their disciples to our Lord, to learn from Him what He is, and to study under Him, so as to know and to do what is necessary for His love and service. The third reason St. John sent his disciples to our Lord was to detach them from himself. He feared they would be led into the great error of esteeming him more than the Savior. They were already complaining to St. John in this manner. Teacher, you and we, your disciples, along with the Pharisees, fast. We are poorly clothed and do great penance. But this man, this great prophet who performs so many miracles among us, does not do so. In hearing this, and in seeing that the love and esteem which his disciples felt for him was beginning to produce in them a feeling of contempt for Jesus Christ, St. John sent them to this divine majesty to be instructed and informed of the truth. It was not, therefore, because St. John doubted in the least that our Lord was the Messiah, that he sent his disciples to question him. He sent them for their own benefit and advantage and to make him known to the whole world, not to draw them to himself, but to detach them from him, to let them see the miracles that Jesus Christ performed so that they might come to him in a manner worthy of him. He deals with them as befits their status as still children. He assuredly believed that Jesus is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And certainly he could, by his own words, have brought them to understand this truth, but he chose to direct them to our Lord for this instruction. He could have sent them to him to adore and confess him, but accommodating himself to their weakness and infirmity, he sent them only to ask him who he is and whether he is he who is to come or whether they should look for another. Surely those who direct souls must make themselves all things to all men, as the Apostle says, to save all, Let them be gentle with some and severe with others, children with children, strong with the strong, weak with the weak. In short, they need great discretion so as to accommodate themselves to each one's need. St. Paul himself practiced this marvelously, for he made himself as a child with children, and for this reason he often addressed Christians as my little children. Writing to the Thessalonians, he said, My little children, I became as a little one in the midst of you so that I might save all of you. I walked with little steps, and not with the steps of a great apostle, for you would hardly have been able to follow such steps, being little children. I adapted myself to your weakness, and I walked slowly with you as a little child. Furthermore, I have been in your midst as a nursing mother. I gave you milk to drink and nourished you with food suited to your littleness. St. John Chrysostom, Bishop of Constantinople, outstanding in all he wrote, but particularly on the subject of this apostle, said in the beginning of a sermon on the epistle to the Hebrews, Here is an amazing thing. When this great apostle was among his Corinthians, he was like a nursing mother among her children. He nourished them with simple food, which was sweet and suited to little children. On the contrary, when he wrote to the Hebrews, it was with a doctrine so profound and a style so elevated that it is without parallel. If you want to understand how St. Paul was in the midst of the Corinthians, look at a mother who has five or six children around her. Notice this woman's skill, how she can give to each one what is appropriate and can treat each one according to his understanding. To the one who is only one, two, or three years old, she gives milk. She uses baby talk with him and plays with him. She does not expect him to say father and mother, but only papa and mamma. Being so very young, he cannot yet pronounce the words father and mother. Those that are four or five years old, she teaches to talk better and to eat more solid food. Those a little older, she instructs in courtesy and modesty. Now, writes this Holy Father, when the great apostle said, I am among you as a nursing mother, What does he mean but that he acts towards his disciples as a nursing mother does toward her children? It is certainly necessary for those who guide souls to have great zeal to learn all that is required to guide them according to their capacity and attraction. They must use great discernment so as to give them the food of God's word at the fitting and appropriate time so that it may be well received, and again great discernment to give each one what he needs and in the way best suited to him. Let no one say, you do not speak to me for my perfection as much as you do to this other person. I reply, I do not think you have enough teeth to handle the practices that are recommended to others. You answer, I think I do have enough teeth. (laughs) Surely you have even fewer than you think since you believe you have more. Then let yourself be governed by others. The second part of our gospel is the response our Lord made to John's disciples. Reflecting on this response, some doctors have been astonished. Relate to John what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cured, the deaf hear, dead men are resuscitated, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. That the poor have the gospel preached to them is considered a miracle here. These doctors note that the Savior did not work many miracles in the presence of John's disciples, but that the apostles told them of those he had worked. Most certainly, the apostles delighted in relating the wonderful works of their good master to these two disciples. But our Lord also performed many miracles in their presence, which is why he answered them, Relate to John what you hear and see. Some of our early fathers namely St. Hilary and St. Chrysostom, dwell upon this answer which our Lord gave to those who asked Him who He was. You ask me whether I am that great prophet, the promised Messiah, He who thunders in the heavens and who is to come to crush the head of the enemy. I answer you, relate what you have heard and seen. O wonderful humility of our dear Savior, who comes to confound our pride and to destroy our false sense of superiority. They ask him, Who are you? And his only answer is, Relate what you have heard and seen. He answers thus to teach us that it is our works and not our words that give testimony to what we are, we who are so full of pride. If anyone were to ask a gentleman today, Who are you? He would consider such a question a challenge to his honor, and would no doubt cut his questioner's throat on the spot. Must I show you my lineage and ancestry? Must I produce my pedigree for you? Such silliness is absolute nonsense. Surely there is no need whatsoever of displaying all these nothings to prove that you are a gentleman. But when asked the question, who are you, you must reply, relate what you see. A man gentle, cordial, benevolent, the protector of widows, the father of orphans and minors, charitable and benign towards his subjects. If you have seen and heard such things, say assuredly that you have seen a real gentleman. If you address yourself to a bishop, who are you? He should be able to render this testimony of himself. Relate that you see a man who fulfills his charge well and devoutly. Then you may be assured that he is truly a bishop. If a religious is asked, Who are you? and she is seen to be exact and punctual in the observance of her rules, she can answer that she is truly a religious. In short, it is our works, whether good or bad, that form us, and it is by them that we ought to be recognized. When asked who are you, do not be content to answer like little children in catechism class, I am a Christian. Rather, live in such a manner that one will recognize clearly in you a person who loves God with his whole heart, one who keeps the commandments, frequents the sacraments, and does all things worthy of a true Christian. I do not mean that when we are asked who we are, we must not say that we are Christians, Certainly not. It is the most beautiful title we can give ourselves. I have always had a special devotion to that great Saint Blandina, who was martyred at Lyon, and whose life was written by Eusebius. Amidst all the excruciating torments of her martyrdom, she kept repeating gently, I am a Christian, making use of this word as a sacred balm to heal all her wounds. All I mean is that it is not enough to be called a Christian if we do not perform the works of a Christian. After all, what are we? A little dust and ashes. Let us then candidly admit that we are nothing, that we can do nothing, that we know nothing. What nonsense that being what we are, we nevertheless wish to make a show and to walk on tiptoe in order to be seen by everyone. But what will they actually see in seeing us? A little dust, and a body all too soon corrupted in death. This has been taken from The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, translated by Nuns of the Visitation, and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, OSFS, published in 1987 by Tan Books and Publishers, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher, This book may be purchased online at www.tanbooks.com or by calling toll-free 1-800-437-5876.